0: Welcome back to Wednesday Night Bible Study and welcome back from the Feast of Tabernacles and if you don't know what the Feast of Tabernacles is, you've got to write to us info at CGI.org and ask us about God's Holy days. So welcome back everybody. Here we are again uh, back to Wednesday Night Bible Study. We're going to start a brand new book. I'm very excited about this book. We're going to be getting into the book of Isaiah. So let's open with a word of prayer and, and get right into the study. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and praise you. We just want to thank you so much, Lord, for everything that you're doing. And we thank you, God, that you are revealing to us the great mysteries in your word. And we know, Father, that there's very few people in the earth that you are selecting now as first fruits. And we are just so grateful to you, Father, that we understand your plan through your holy days and that you have selected us to understand your word and to do our duty And carry out your word we thank you father we pray that as we start this new study now the book of Isaiah uh, that you will just help us to understand in in a much greater way in a much deeper way uh, your counsel help us to understand your will and help us father to do your will according to faith we praise you we ask this blessing now in Jesus name Amen well uh, my wife and I were in uh, Jamaica for the feast and let me highly recommend Jamaica to all of you if you're looking for a spirit-filled feast and to worship with brethren who truly worship our great God with all of their heart and all of their soul. Uh, just a wonderful uh, rejuvenating feast. And uh, we're just recharged now and ready to uh, begin another year uh, until next feast, or even uh, I should really say until the, the Spring Holy Days. So we're gonna be studying the Book of Isaiah. And I should mention that our Pastor Murray, Uh, will not be joining us tonight Uh, he's hoping to get back onto the studies next week he's taking a bit of a uh, well-deserved extended vacation so we're going to be doing isaiah and i've really struggled uh with how to present isaiah it's a big book 66 chapters and uh it's not it's not chronological and so there's not a storyline that we can follow and so i've struggled with this how to present it and, and uh, I feel inspired to uh, present it in a certain way. We, we left last, the last book that we studied was the book of Jude, where he exhorted us to contend for the faith. And Isaiah is a very special book and very important to us in terms of contending for the faith. Uh, what we find with the book of Isaiah is it's like a mini Bible. It really is like a mini Bible. And uh, here, if you just look at the structure of Isaiah, there are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. Obviously, the scroll didn't have 66 chapters originally, but the people who put it into uh, chapters seem to really grasp the message of Isaiah. And they put it into 66 chapters. We know the Bible has 66 books. The first 39 books of the Bible are the Old Testament. The last 27 are the New Testament. Well, (laughs) coincidentally or strategically, by design, The first 39 chapters in the book of Isaiah have an Old Testament message, an Old Testament message of judgment. And the last 27 chapters of Isaiah have a New Testament message of redemption. And so Isaiah is really like a mini Bible. And what's also special about Isaiah is the Dead Sea Scrolls, that when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, and they thought that, wow, this was a 1,000 years older, than their oldest manuscript for Isaiah. They thought there'd be huge discrepancies with the latest version of Isaiah or the oldest version of Isaiah that they had, and one that was discovered uh, that was a 1,000 years older. And when they compared it line by line, the the differences were minor, a few grammatical things. but There was really, with the book of Isaiah, we have, it's, it's a faithful rendition of the original scripture. And so we can really have confidence in this book. And as I said, it's a mini Bible. The whole message of the entire Bible is in the book of Isaiah. So when we understand Isaiah, we're going to have a better grasp of the Bible. And no one can deceive us with anything in the Bible if we reconcile it back to what the prophet Isaiah saw. In terms of uh, what we're going to cover, we're going to cover, the way I, I feel inspired to cover this is to really focus on what's called Second Isaiah. And 2nd Isaiah really begins at chapter 40, from chapter 40 to 66. I want to, st- I want to start with 2nd Isaiah and then come back and cover 1st Isaiah. And they call it 2nd Isaiah because they don't believe that Isaiah wrote it. They believe that Isaiah, the original Isaiah, wrote the first 39 chapters. And then they believe that sometime later, maybe a hundred years later, uh, one of his uh, disciples or a disciple of his disciple Uh, That or or multiple people, a collection, wrote according to the message of Isaiah, but they wrote what's called Second Isaiah, or this second person wrote uh, Second Isaiah. That is absolute nonsense, uh, because we know it's nonsense because when Christ began his ministry, they handed him the scroll of Isaiah, and he quoted from chapter 61, and he said Isaiah says. And Paul, when he quoted from Isaiah, quoted from what's called Second Isaiah, and said Isaiah says. And so and in fact Isaiah is one of the most quoted uh, books in the New Testament and I did want to take a moment and actually show you that Um, actually I'll, I'll, I'll save that for later but the New Testament is really like a commentary on the book of Isaiah and none of the even the Lord himself did not say oh you know there are two Isaiah's but the message is very different in second Isaiah it is a message of redemption and Isaiah actually lived, his ministry was maybe 40 or 50 years long. So what happened is all of these prophetic warnings that he had over the course of his ministry and his his prophethood, at the end they're, they're put in a collection. So Isaiah is, rather than being like a book, it's really a collection of his various prophecies. So that's uh, Isaiah. Let me just give you a sense here. We'll just start, we'll start reading the book. And what I want to cover today really is just chapter one but i want to set it up and give a little bit of context we're not going to do any deep analysis of the chapter i just want to read the chapter with you because the whole story of the book is in chapter one and the first part of chapter two and no doubt uh, at the feast you would have definitely heard isaiah quote it is impossible to look ahead into the future of the millennium without quoting isaiah because he was given a very rich vision of what the future would be let's uh let's begin just by uh jumping into the text and taking a look at what is it that uh, isaiah saw so it starts off saying the, this is the vision of isaiah the son of amoz so some people think this is amos uh, it's not amos it's Amaz. Amaz was uh, uh uh the brother of one of the kings and so isaiah comes from a royal lineage and he's actually the cousin of king Uzziah. Uh, Uzziah's father was Amaz's brother. And uh, he says here that it's concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So this allows us to to see very clearly the timing of Isaiah's prophecy. And so you can see that uh, Uzziah co-reigned with Jotham, Jotham co-reigned with Ahaz, Ahaz co-reigned with Hezekiah. Hezekiah co-reigned with Manasseh, and then Manasseh, this wicked king, was the one that actually had Isaiah put to death. But he didn't get any vision in the time of Manasseh's reign, but he did receive these visions during the reigns of these kings, Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, and he was a man of stature. He was uh, able to access the king's court. Unlike the prophet Amos, who was uh, a farmer, and was then called into prophecy. Uh, Isaiah is different. He's, he's of royal lineage, very well-educated, uh, very powerful man who had to then prophesy in the time of these kings. But uh, what we shouldn't read over, and what I believe most people read over, is verse 1. And in verse 1, uh, it, it says very clearly what this book is about. And this is where we go off track, is we just read over it. But it says very clearly that this is the vision which Isaiah saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the book is about. The book is about the vision is about Judah and Jerusalem. He makes mention of Israel, the northern tribes, and he certainly talks about the tribes that or the tribes, the ethnic groups, the, the nations that surround Judah and Jerusalem. But the vision is about Judah and Jerusalem. And we we skip over this and we quote Isaiah as if it refers to America, it it refers to Britain, it refers to Canada, uh, it refers to the church, it refers to everybody and everything. In fact, I even heard a speaker recently quoting Isaiah and applying it to Hitler, replacing Judah and Jerusalem with Hitler. So how Hitler is gonna have his chance in, in the second resurrection. The book, the scroll, the visions are concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And if we keep that in mind, we're going to understand what exactly Isaiah is trying to tell us. Now, if we, and this is important actually, this is what I want to set up, why it's so important for us to understand what the book is about, because this is what's going to help us avoid deception, that Satan's work is deception. And if we understand Isaiah, we cannot be deceived and so we, we we will miss the point if we miss verse one that isaiah's writing is about judah and jerusalem now when we get into the text before we get into the text i want to talk about deception so and and these are in the these are in the south so it, uh, isaiah is totally focused on the southern kingdom unlike uh, amos who was preaching to the northern tribes now we know that Satan is a deceiver, but I, I don't know if we associate his deceptions specifically with Jerusalem. And this is why I want this is why it's so important that in verse one we understand that Isaiah is writing about Judah and Jerusalem. Because of Satan's deceptive work. And we cannot allow ourselves to be deceived. Notice here in Revelation 20 and verse 1 that john saw this angel come down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand and he laid hold on the dragon that old serpent right from the garden of eden this old devil which is the devil and satan and bound him a thousand years so for a thousand years i think we all understand this satan is in prison cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more this is the devil's work the devil is a deceiver and because he's locked away for a thousand years, he cannot do his work of deception until the thousand years are fulfilled. After that, he must be loosed for a little season. So it's necessary at the end of the thousand years, because of those who come up in the second resurrection, they have to face the devil, just as we who are striving for the first resurrection, we have to face Satan. Nobody, nobody can go into God's kingdom without facing the deception of the devil and choosing to obey or disobey God. So he must be loosed at the end of the thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, verse seven, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Now, what does he do when he's loosed out of his prison? He's a deceiver. So he does his work. In verse eight, when he's loosed out of his prison, he goes out to deceive the nations. So why is that important? Why is that necessary? What is it that he's trying to do? What is his agenda when he deceives the nations? So they're in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. He's deceiving the nations to battle. To battle who? To battle what? So he says, the number of whom is the sand of the sea. And this verse here is very chilling, verse 8, that the number of the people he deceives are as the sand of the sea. And I know we have this, uh, for those of us uh, who understand the second resurrection, sometimes we can have this flippant attitude of, oh, well, they'll come up in the second resurrection and everything will be okay everything will not be okay because it's very clear that the the devil is very successful uh, against the second resurrection the people that come up in the second resurrection uh, he's, he's able to deceive a number of them as the sand of the sea so i think we need to be very careful of having a flippant attitude that oh if you're in the second resurrection everything's fine everything's not fine we need to strive for the first resurrection and hopefully god calls others and our loved ones to pursue the first resurrection because the second resurrection is no picnic and they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the Saints about and the beloved city this is Satan's work of deception he is competing against Jerusalem he is he has his own city he has he wants to be like the Most High and in order to be like the Most High he cannot have them looking to Jerusalem he very much was working in Jeroboam's heart When jeroboam competed with jerusalem and set up his capital in samaria again always to distract from jerusalem and in the end time he uses babylon uh, as his center so everybody the whole world is looking to babylon instead of jerusalem so when he's loosed for a thousand years it's to deceive the world about jerusalem and get them to fight against jerusalem but fire comes down from from god out of heaven and destroys them all and that's that's the end of them if they follow his deception now, before the millennium, before the time of the second resurrection, so before Christ returns and, and kind of introducing his return, the success of the devil is to deceive people against Jerusalem. So in Zechariah 12, verse 2, Behold, God says, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people. So the devil's going to be successful in deceiving all the people around it, so they're going to go to battle against Jerusalem. This, the agenda is the same when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. So this is why we need Isaiah, because Isaiah is going to tell us what is to be concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and we will not get swept up in the deception of the devil. He says, in that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people, all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces so God the devil has an agenda concerning Jerusalem and God has an agenda concerning Jerusalem and we have to be on God's agenda concerning Jerusalem he says though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it so we can't be fooled when we see these powerful nations going against Jerusalem we can't be seduced by their power we have to understand that God is just allowing this but he's going to act on behalf. His agenda is is all around Jerusalem. And the devil's agenda is all around Jerusalem. So our agenda needs to be around Jerusalem. If we don't care about Jerusalem, we're not on God's plan. We're, not, we're being deceived if we don't care about Jerusalem. David says that he wants Jerusalem to be his joy above above his chief joy, that Jerusalem must be his joy because he had the heart of God. And if we have the heart of God, Jerusalem is our chief joy. But for many of us, we don't care. And so we're not on God's agenda. So He says here in verse, chapter 14 now, and no doubt we would have read these verses at the feast, that it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which were deceived and came against Jerusalem, shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So we see the two competing agendas. The devil is trying to destroy Jerusalem, turn everybody against Jerusalem. God is going to establish Jerusalem. And all the nations in the millennium are going to go to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And so, again, if you don't understand what we're talking about when we talk about God's holy days, you need to write to us. Info at CGI.org and ask for information on God's holy days because the whole plan of God is revealed in His holy days. So the whole world is going to go to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, and they will no longer be on the devil's agenda. He says, and it shall be that whoever will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. They will starve to death. They will suffer an agonizing death if they do not acknowledge Jerusalem. And if the family of Egypt does not go up, So these are Muslim people who who hate the Jews, and hate Jerusalem, and and disregard the Holy One of Israel. But if they don't repent, and they don't come up, they'll have no rain. There shall be the plague, wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to the Feast of Tabernacles. So this agenda of Jerusalem or not Jerusalem is so intense that the heathen, some of them just can't bring themselves to acknowledge the God of Jacob and to go to Jerusalem. And it's going to be terrible for them if they do not come off this rebellion. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that have been deceived that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And so he goes on then to describe the punishment. Now in Isaiah 25, uh, no doubt you would have read this during the Feast of Tabernacles as well, when God is going to host a feast for all the nations. And in Isaiah 25, and verse 6, he says, And in this mountain, that is in Jerusalem, shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people. So all these people that were fighting against Jerusalem, now when God is established, has established Jerusalem, he's going to host a banquet. And it's going to be the best of everything. And all nations are going to acknowledge that God is the God of Jacob and that Jerusalem is the place of salvation. And so the, de- the deception will be gone. Uh, He's going to make a feast of fat things, wonderful things, the best things. A feast of wines on the lees, the best wine. Of fat things full of marrow. Of wines on the lees, well refined. He's going to spare no expense. This is going to be a wonderful celebration. And he will destroy, in this mountain, in Jerusalem, the face of the covering cast over all people. Who cast this covering over all people? We know that's the work of the devil. So the devil will be bound a thousand years, and his deception regarding Jerusalem will be lifted. His deception regarding the God of Jacob will be lifted. And so God is going to destroy the covering cast over all people, and the veil that is spread over all nations. All he, what he is successful doing is deceiving all nations concerning Jerusalem. And so they cannot they're blinded to the God of Israel because they're blinded to Jerusalem. Now we see this very clearly in Christ's prophecy in Matthew 24, which we're all very familiar with, but let's just read it again with respect to Jerusalem. He says, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. Now in the context of what we've just read, it's really not not that a man deceives you it's take heed that the devil doesn't deceive you and what is the devil's agenda to deceive mankind concerning Jerusalem so we need to understand that the deception has to do with Christ when he returns don't be deceived he is returning to Jerusalem he's returning to establish his headquarters the headquarters of the whole universe in Jerusalem don't let anybody deceive you because the devil's work is to take Jerusalem out of our mind and to think that God has abandoned Jerusalem. So, says, don't let anybody, he said, talking to his disciples, let no man deceive you because many will come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many. So they're going to say that he's Christ, but they're going to deceive us concerning his return. They're going to deceive us concerning Jerusalem because that is the devil's work. The context for this prophecy is in Matthew 23. You'd have to read all of Matthew 23 to get the context. In fact, we have to read all of Matthew because the the context of Matthew 24 are chapters 1 to 23. But if you just read chapter 23, that's enough context to see the collision between Jerusalem and Christ. And he says here at the end of chapter 23, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, in a pleading and mourning, because he sees what's going to happen to Jerusalem. He knows the prophecies. And so he says, you that kill the prophets, Jerusalem is deceived. And they've signed on to the devil's agenda. And they kill the prophets and they stone them that are sent. How often he would have gathered Jerusalem's children together. Even as a hen gathers her chickens when when the chickens are under threat, the hen protects them under her wings. But you, you wouldn't have it. He says, behold, your house is left unto you desolate this is the destiny of Jerusalem. And it's because of this destiny of Jerusalem that Christ says to his disciples, make sure that nobody deceives you. What he's saying is, I have not abandoned Jerusalem. Don't believe for a minute that I've abandoned Jerusalem. There, there is a, He calls it in Isaiah his strange work. In In Habakkuk, he calls it his unbelievable work. His work that nobody will believe, even if it's told to them it's a strange work that he is coming he is going to orchestrate events so that Jerusalem is shattered and destroyed and made desolate but that doesn't mean he's abandoned Jerusalem and that's why Isaiah is split up into these two halves 1 to 39 condemnation of Judah and Jerusalem and there's some good news mixed in there it's not purely condemnation there's hints we all know Isaiah 9 verse 6 that that the baby will be born That will grow into a great king that will establish the kingdom forever these types of uh, hints of the good news are in the first part but primarily the first chapters 1 to 39 are all about the destruction of jerusalem by the nations that surround it and then judgment on all of these nations for what they do to jerusalem and then chapters 40 to 66 that's the good news and that's what that's really what the gospel means it's not just oh there's good news for mankind isn't it wonderful that there's good news for mankind we have to read isaiah and see the world through the lens of isaiah to really understand what is why is it good news it's good news because of the condemnation it's good news because of this that jerusalem is going to be desolate but not forgotten there is good news that there is a victory over all of jerusalem's enemies so the context for matthew the prophecy in matthew 24 is that jerusalem will be desolate And in Luke 21, verse 20, he says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded with armies, because this is the devil's work, the devil's going to stir up these nations. He's going to have an ideology, a way of convincing the nations that they have to destroy Jerusalem. That's his deception. So when we see this deception taking place, then know that it's true, that desolation is coming. Like this is going to be horrendous. Back to Matthew 24, he says, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, So, there's some sort of religious worship that is set up, that is pagan, that is set up in the midst of Jerusalem. When you see this, that's spoken of by the prophet Daniel, when you see that stand in the holy place, he says, whoever reads, make sure you understand this. Then, let them which be in Judea. This is going back to Isaiah, because Isaiah saw the prophecy of what is going to happen to all Judea, or Judah, and specifically to Jerusalem. So this what christ is saying here is very clearly this is not a prophecy about america this is not a prophecy about canada this is not a prophecy about britain this is not a prophecy about anywhere else in the world this is a prophecy what isaiah saw because isaiah got to see well into the future well deep into the future and so this is the same prophecy that isaiah saw concerning judah and jerusalem And Christ is now saying if you accept me as your Messiah when this happens if you're in Judah you better run for your life you better run for your life he doesn't give this instruction to anybody else anywhere else in the world where the gospel has to be preached we do not have permission to run only here where the slaughter is just going to be It's just going to be relentless. It has nothing to do with whether you're a Christian or not. It's just the fact that you're in Judah, uh, and and this judgment is coming upon Judah. He says, flee to the mountains. Get out of there, because it's going to be wholesale slaughter. So that's the backdrop that we need to understand why Isaiah's vision is so important concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now, Isaiah's call is in chapter 6. And when we go back and we do chapters 1 to 39... Of what's called first Isaiah we'll get into this in more detail but just in terms of introduction this is really where Isaiah gets his calling into prophethood and he says here in Isaiah 6 verse 5 then said I woe is me because I'm undone why is he undone because I'm a man of unclean lips so Isaiah understood he's a human being and and unclean things have come out of his mouth and why is that important why is, why does that matter And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of Hosts. So Isaiah was selected, and he had this encounter with the Lord of Hosts. And he he just thought, I'm done. This, like, I have come into the presence of holiness, and I'm a carnal man. He says he's undone. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar." So he saw this, This uh, he encountered God and there was an altar and there was a, there were coals on the altar. And this angel took one of the live coals, that hot coals, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, "'Lo, this has touched your lips, "'and your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged.'" So he's in the middle of a filthy people. And he himself says he's filthy. And yet, the iniquity has been taken away. So he has been able to now, by God's grace, come into God's presence. And we all pray for this. That when Christ returns, we can all come into his presence. And through his blood, the iniquity is taken away and our sin is purged. So he says this. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? So clearly there's more than one and nothing to do with the Trinity. In fact, when we were in Jamaica, uh, one of the uh, events we had was an evening of uh, doctrinal defense and apologetics. And we had three people, one of which was a veteran, had been in a church for many years, a very solid teacher. Uh, another one a uh, kind of up and coming leader, I would say. And the third one was a young lady who has been baptized for a year. And all three, the the, the moot was, uh, to do with the trinity not reflecting the godhead that the trinity is a false doctrine and they dug into this and just wow it was so all three of them took slightly different angles but very robust uh defense of the the, the, the godhead of the, the true godhead and and how the trinity is false and so at least though that people do see this to see that god is more than one and you need to understand what this means that god is a family there is one supreme god so if if the definition of god is the supreme one there's only one that's the father but there's also a, a class of beings called god and jesus christ is in that class of being and so god the father and god the son and nowhere in the bible do you see any mention of trinity people are trying to read that in but over and over and over it's very clear there's the father and the son and the spirit and these these uh, three brethren made it so clear the spirit is the power of God so here the father and the son are talking and the question is who will go for us then said I this is Isaiah talking here I am or here 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 am I send me so Isaiah had this very uh, receptive spirit very willing spirit and said I'll go and he said okay go and tell this people which people the whole world no The people of judah and the people of jerusalem specifically go and tell this people hear you indeed but don't understand and see you indeed but don't see but perceive not make the heart of this people which people the jews make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes And hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed So God is so angry with this people That he's going to ensure that they don't understand the truth. So Isaiah is being called into his prophethood He's gonna have a, a ministry for four or five decades, maybe six decades And it's going to be an unsuccessful ministry that as much as he preaches. They're not going to understand because the message has to be delivered to them, but they're cut off from knowing. Why is this? So he said, then said I, Lord, how long? How, how, what is the condition? How, How long will this condition be where they have no clue what I'm talking about? And he answered, until the cities be wasted. This is why Christ always spoke to them in parables, because he was fulfilling Isaiah. Even Paul, when he preached, they couldn't understand his teaching because they were so rebellious. And he quoted, he quoted this scripture and said, truly Isaiah was correct in what he said about you. So how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted. So Christ says, Jerusalem, your house is left unto you desolate. So until that prophecy comes to pass, this will be their condition. Your cities are wasted and without inhabitant. And the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate God is not joking this is serious these are his people and this is what they must go through and the Lord has removed men far away so they're going to be taken captive and taken away from Judah and there be great forsaking in the midst of the land this is what's necessary this so Isaiah you have to take this message from God to the people and keep taking it to them until this happens now Jeremiah who comes later uh, listen to what he says and this will give us insight into God's thinking in chapter 11 verse 1 the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying hear you the words of this covenant Ah, this is about the covenant so God had a covenant with Israel When the tribes split, there were the northern tribes and then Judah in the south. He divorced the northern tribes because of their idolatry and adultery and faithlessness and had the Assyrians come in and wipe them out. And Isaiah foretold that and then actually witnessed it. And Judah witnessed it. And as much as Judah witnessed it, they were worse than the northern tribes. And so this covenant, but, but God didn't divorce them. This is God's strange work you the words of the covenant and speak unto the men of judah and to the inhabitants of jerusalem so this is the prophecy that we're going to see as we study isaiah concerning judah and jerusalem speak unto the men of judah and to the inhabitants of jerusalem and say you unto them thus says the lord god of israel cursed be the man that obeys not the words of this covenant So Israel came before God, the covenant, the terms and conditions of the covenant were read to them, and they said, all that the Lord has said we will do. And they agreed to the covenant. God says here, cursed be the man that obeys not the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers in the day that I brought them forth out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, obey my voice and do them according to all which I command you, so shall you be my people and I will be your God. So here's the covenant do what it says you'll be my people i'll be your god that i may perform the oath which i have sworn unto your fathers i want to perform this oath to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as it is this day this is what the covenant is all about it's all about god having a people and giving them the land that this land is for them and they to be established in the land as the head nation that the whole world will then have a model of righteousness have people who can lead them to God so I'm gonna give you this is the covenant I swore I swore to your fathers I'm gonna give you a land flowing with milk and honey as it is this day then answered I and said so be it O Lord then the Lord said unto me proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem saying hear you the words of this covenant and do them for I earnestly protested unto your fathers in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt saying even unto this day rising early and protesting saying obey my voice yet they obeyed not nor inclined their ear but walked every one in the imagination of their evil heart therefore I God is saying because of this covenant agreement that we have if you do this this and this I will bless you like this if you disobey I will curse you like this I swear because of this covenant and because they disobeyed the covenant God says therefore I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant so we just only have to go to Deuteronomy and see what are the words of the covenant to see how God is going to punish them and he's going to use the devil and through the devil use all the nations that surround Jerusalem to bring upon all the words of the covenant which I commanded them to do but they did them not and the Lord said unto me a conspiracy is found among the men of Judah people don't believe in conspiracies oh conspiracy theory God says there's such a thing as conspiracy he says here a conspiracy is found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem they are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers Satan is the greatest conspirator And he has now even deceived God's own people. And they are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words. And they went after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them. This is God's faithfulness to his covenant. Just go to Deuteronomy. And we'll know exactly what God is going to do. Because when God speaks, He means it. Behold, I will bring calamity upon them, and they shall not be able to escape. No way. This is why, uh, this is why they cannot um, hear. They cannot see. Their heart cannot respond. Because God says, okay, you broke my covenant. I'm going to bring this calamity upon you, and you will not be able to escape. If they could hear and understand and respond, then they could escape. But no, the covenant says, you will not escape. And so they will not escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Then shall the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem go and cry unto the gods unto whom they offer incense. But they shall not save them at all in the time of their trouble. So this has to happen. The people have become unfaithful. They've taken up idols. They've taken up other gods. Let them cry to these gods. And God is going to bring to pass exactly what he said. They're going to cry to these gods, and the gods are not going to be able to help them. And this is to prove a point to these people. For according to the number of your cities, that is the cities of Judah, were your gods, O Judah, and according to the number of streets of Jerusalem, have you set up altars to that shameful thing, even altars to burn incense unto Baal. So Israel's gone. God is now dealing with Judah. And as much as they have uh, cities in Judah, that's how many false gods they're worshipping. And as much as they have streets in Jerusalem, that's how many uh, false uh, altars they've set up to burn incense unto Baal. Therefore, he's saying to Jeremiah, do not pray for this people. These are God's people. Don't pray for them. Neither lift up a cry or prayer for them. For I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble." So with all of that backdrop, let's now just read chapter 1 of Isaiah. Because in chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2, we get the whole story. So we'll, we'll just go ahead now and read what is what is the story. What, and, and in chapter 1, we'll understand all of Isaiah. Isaiah is such a wonderful book. I, just, I wish I could call, cover all 66 chapters in one sitting. Because it's like we've got to grasp the whole book. But we're going to take this slow we'll begin in, Ch- in second isaiah which is chapter 40 uh and that's really the, the good news which comes after the bad news and I'm, I'm i pray that it will take us right into passover so when we finish uh hopefully we'll finish in time but by the time we get through the heart of uh second isaiah we will have an understanding through the lens of isaiah of really passover and atonement because it, it covers both but it will i think will deepen our observance of the passover so what's the story here Isaiah 1 and verse 1 the vision of Isaiah the son of Amoz which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem let's not make Isaiah about anything else except what it's about it's about Judah and Jerusalem which he received in the days of Isaiah Jotham Ahaz and Hezekiah the kings of Judah Hear, O heavens. And again, I'm not going to do any analysis here when we come back to chapter 1. We'll uh, do a little bit more analysis here. But let's just read and get the story flow. He says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. So heavens and earth. For the Lord has spoken. I have nourished, says God, I have nourished and brought up children. And they have rebelled against me, my own children. That I've nourished them. I've given them everything. I I looked after them, and they turned on me. This this is this is quite an indictment. This is God's God's raising a case against His people. I blessed them. I brought them up. I nurtured them, and they rebelled against me. The ox, he says, knows his owner, and the donkey his master's crib. So so God is saying here. I mean. There are some really smart animals in the world and you can go to a circus and, and you can see these animals perform all kinds of tricks because they have a, a bit more intellect going on. It's not human intellect, but they're they're switched on and they can do all kinds of be trained to do, especially dogs. You see what you can train a dog to do. You don't really train an ox to do tricks. You know, they can do a bit of work. They're, they're, they're dumb animals. You, there's the saying the dumb ox, the dumb ox. However, the ox knows something. The ox, as dumb as it is, it knows his owner. And the donkey knows his master's crib. But Israel, that's the whole nation of Israel, does not know. My people do not consider. So God is saying that his people have less intelligence than the, than the dumbest animal. Ah, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity these are these are evil people these these are the people that god selected and he's saying how evil they are they are a seed of evildoers so a seed sprouts so they're evildoers and they sprout more evil children that are corruptors they have forsaken the lord they have provoked the holy one of israel unto anger and this is why you know if you've heard me preach i'll constantly say God is not giving Jerusalem to his people today and whatever happened in 1948 that was not God fulfilling his prophecy to give the land to his people they cannot be in the land according to the covenant while they're in this state of evil while they have rejected God they cannot be in the land but God is that this Isaiah is going to show us that God is going to act and God is going to purge his people after punishing them and when they are purged then he's going to bring them into the land. He's going to gather them from all around, and then he'll bring them into the land. But whatever is going on today, if anything, I would say they're being gathered to be slaughtered, according to the prophecies. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel, and Isaiah uses this phrase 50 times in this book. 25 times in 1st Isaiah, 25 times in 2nd Isaiah. It's the it's having encountered God, This is the way that he describes God. God is the Holy One of Israel. And uh, Jesus says in Matthew that uh, all nations will hate us, not because of who we are, but for his name's sake. This name of Israel, and he says that his name is constantly blasphemed. This is his name, the Holy One of Israel. And he'll be known as the Holy One of Israel forever. He'll be known as the God of Jacob forever. And and Israel is causing his name to be blasphemed. And so he is going to uh, most certainly address that. So he says here, They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. He has nurtured them. He's brought them up. He's been patient with them. And they have just constantly been breaking his covenant, constantly committing adultery, constantly committing idolatry, which are the same thing, by the way. Uh, Adultery is idolatry. Idolatry is adultery. They are gone away backwards <clears throat> why should you be stricken anymore more? Why, why, why are you allowing this will you revolt more and more like you, you've provoked me to anger i'm going to strike you you won't stop why are you doing this the whole head is sick and the whole heart faint from the sole of the foot even to the head there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores So you can imagine a body that has these um, wounds and bruises that are not healed. And I'll be kind here and just show a a mild bruise, but God is really speaking of something really disgusting. These bruises and putrefying sores that have not been treated, uh, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment, And, and they're still rebelling despite all of this. He says, Your country is desolate, your cities are burned with fire. This is the destiny of Judah and Jerusalem. That your country is desolate, your cities are burned with fire. This is the pronouncement. This is the judgment of God on Judah and Jerusalem. Actually, on all of all of Israel. But it's going to be specifically. We're going to get very specific about Judah and Jerusalem. Your country is desolate, your cities are burned with fire, your land. Strangers devour it in your presence. And Zechariah shows us this, that you have to watch while strangers come into your land. God says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, strangers are going to devour your land in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. We'll see the abomination of desolation set up. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers so this is sort of after the harvest they would have a cottage there while they're doing the harvest so they could seek shelter from the sun but now everything is gone and the only thing the only evidence that people were actually there is this makeshift cottage that's left this is what the daughter of zion is left as as a cottage in a vineyard as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers as a besieged city this is the judgment because of their rebellion now the good news. This is the whole story. So despite all of this judgment on Judah and Jerusalem on, on all Israel and specifically on Judah and Jerusalem, the reason we have a gospel, the reason there's good news, is it is relief from all of the bad news. It's not just, you know, mankind sinned and you know people don't know God. But there's good news. Jesus came to save the world. God is very precise. He's very specific. You know, we say, oh, God so loved the world. If we study that passage closely, it's God in this way loved the world. There's a specific way that God loved the world. And there's a specific way he's going to save the world. And he's going to save the world through Jerusalem. He's going to save the world through Israel, through Judah. There's a specific way that he doesn't just have this relationship with Gentiles. He sets up this nation they're the head nation, and all the world has to come to him. And this book of Isaiah is so amazing. We will not be deceived when we understand Isaiah. You know, um, Isaiah is referred to in the Hebrew Bible by the Jews as the head of the prophets. When they organize their Bible, they have the former prophets, which is really the historical prophets, kings, chronicles, judges. Uh, they call it prophets, even though it's history. And then they have the latter prophets which are all of the major prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then all the minor prophets, the 12 minor prophets. Uh, they don't call them that, they just call them the prophets. But the head of the prophets is Isaiah. So Isaiah is the very first prophet, and he's the, he is the, considered the chief prophet, and then everybody else, because he was given the broadest vision, the deepest, longest vision. And so here he's given the good news. Here, this is the gospel, that because of the devastation on his people that they are basically wiped out but there's good news he says except the lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant so god is moving in such a way that there will be a remnant within judah and actually within this remnant this is the first fruits harvest where gentiles are now being grafted in to be a part of this remnant to provoke the rest of judah to jealousy it's god's very strange work I, I, on, except for this remnant we should have been as sodom we should have been as uh, sodom and we should have been like unto gomorrah so we know that's why your cities are burned with fire so israel the, the the 12 tribes have become as wicked as sodom and gomorrah that's how filthy they've become and if it wasn't for the fact that god is doing a strange work and he is going to establish judah and he is going to establish Jerusalem. And so there will always be this remnant that God is going to work with. Had it not been the case, and that's because of his promise to Abraham, his unconditional covenant with Abraham, but had this not been the case, these guys would be wiped out. There's, there's absolutely, they have no redeeming qualities. It's because of God's faithfulness to Abraham that they will be redeemed. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So the rulers in Israel are condemned, and the people in Israel are condemned. And so, you know, we can just abstract from this that, yes, you know, whenever you have a wicked leader, generally the people follow, and you have wicked people. And whenever you have a good ruler, a good leader, you have a good body of citizens but God holds the people accountable in other words the people get the leaders they deserve and so God doesn't say well it was it's the leaders fault no we followed the leader we, we, we agreed we were in collusion with the leader and so God condemns both the leader and the people so everybody has a responsibility that the leaders have to lead righteously and the people need to follow righteously and if the leader is going astray you don't go astray you stick to the word of God so here both rulers and people in Israel are condemned to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me so so here the people are very faithful they're keeping the Feast of tabernacles they're keeping the the holy days the Passover they're they're doing all of their offerings and God is saying to, to, to what purpose you know uh, are your to what purpose is the multitude there's lots of it they're very religious people going through all the rituals to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me says the Lord I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats so they're going through all these rituals they're having their holy days they're they're going through all of the motions and God's saying I can't stand it when you come to appear before me Who has required this at your hand? Why are you doing this? Who has required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I can't, away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. And I think the solemn meeting here would refer to the Passover that this is the most solemn meeting. It could refer to atonement, but it's certainly, I think it's Passover here, that God is saying, I can't stand it. That if the heart isn't right, none of these things matter to me. He says, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. So he's speaking specifically to the people of Israel, but certainly we who have been grafted into Israel we need to be very careful we see the sentiment of God he doesn't want ritual so if we're going and we're keeping the feast and, and bringing our offerings but we're leading double lives we see this, the we see God's heart he doesn't want it he wants our heart first then he wants our worship your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates they are a trouble unto me I am weary to bear them and when you spread forth your hands I will hide my eyes from you so very clearly they spread out their hands when they prayed when you spread forth your hands I will hide my eyes from you yes when you make many prayers I will not hear your hands are full of blood this is what the city has become this is what the people of God have become but don't don't let it end there here's what God says Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. So God, clearly you can see God's heart. The covenant is there. He's going to carry out the covenant. But he so wants them to obey him. Just do what is right wash you make you clean put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes cease to do evil learn to do well seek judgment relieve the oppressed judge the fatherless plead for the widow come now and we'll go through when we get back to this we'll do more analysis but for now we just want to get the story flow come now and let us reason together this is god speaking to his people come now and let us reason together says the lord Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So there is a mechanism God is saying for redemption. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. This land is very important to God. And again, we'll have time to to do more analysis on this. But I think we often forget the land. And the covenant is all about the land. And God wants to bring his people into the land. And that's why in Matthew 24, when he says he returns, he's going to gather his people from the four corners of the earth. Why? To put them in the land. That the covenant is all about the land. So all that's happening in the Middle East, it's on the top of God's mind. And it should be on ours as well. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. This is the covenant promise, and God wants this, to give this to his people. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with what? With the sword. This is the word of God. So he raises up these nations all around the land, and he's going to raise them up with what? A sword. They're going to come into the land, and they're going to be beheading these people left, right, and center with the sword. If you refuse and rebel... You sh- and, and when Isaiah speaks, these things happened. They happened first with Assyria and Israel and then about a hundred years after Isaiah died, uh, then Babylon came and it happened to Judah. But when we when we actually get into the prophecies, you can tell that in both cases it's just a dress rehearsal because the, the detail that Isaiah gives, those fulfillments of prophecy didn't fulfill fully. The prophecies that isaiah gave and then immediately on the heels of the full fulfillment of these prophecies comes the millennium so we can see like wow what happened in 721 bc with israel and what happened in i think it's 586 bc to judah these things are just models they're just patterns they're just dress rehearsals for what is yet to happen in the future and when, when the future fulfillment comes, that's when Christ comes. And so we, we, Isaiah is deep. So if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. And they're still refusing and they're still rebelling and they shall be devoured ultimately with the ultimate fulfillment with the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. How is the faithful city become a harlot? How, how did this happen? that this is a faithful city. This, was, this city was set up in righteousness and they were serving God and they were supposed to be the model and David was their king and they were faithful. How is it that this faithful city became a harlot? Remember, adultery is idolatry. Idolatry is idol- is adultery. It's all one and the same thing. How has the faithful city become a harlot? It was full of judgment. Righteousness lodged in it but now murderers your silver has become dross your wine mixed with water your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves everyone loves gifts and they follow and follow after rewards and they judge not the fatherless neither does the cause of the widow come upon them they have just they've be very much become like Sodom and Gomorrah very selfish, very self centered, no mercy, no compassion for the poor, very much falling into the devil's agenda. This is the faithful city. Therefore, says the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will ease me of mine adversaries. His own people have become his adversaries. I will ease me of my adversaries and avenge me of my enemies. You don't look after the widow you don't look after the poor you oppress them you've become the enemy of god and i will turn my hand upon you and purely purge away your dross and take away all your tin and i will restore your judges okay what is god saying here there's a remnant that as much as they deserve this unrelenting punishment when it comes down upon them this is God's strange work. Now he says, in the midst of all of this condemnation, and I will restore your judges as at the first. So the faithful city, he says, how, how has this happened that the faithful city has become a harlot? And now he's saying the faithful city is going to become the faithful city again. The, or the harlot, the harlot city, is going to become the faithful city. God means that when he's established Jerusalem, it's forever. And I will restore your judges as at the first, and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, shall, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. We haven't even left chapter 1, and Isaiah is giving us the gospel. And it's good news because of the bad news. That as much as all of this covenant bad news is well deserved, and these people should be completely wiped out, There's a mechanism in the covenant to bring good news. And Isaiah was given the vision, I was going to say, of how this good news will come about, but it's really of who will bring this good news and how he will do it. That this this mysterious servant is going to come into the land and he is going to live by every word of God. And he's not going to be recognized as God And he's going to be slaughtered. And he's not going to open his mouth. And after he's slaughtered, he's going to come back to life. And when he comes back to life, he's going to put down Israel's enemies. He's going to put down Judah's enemies. And he's going to establish Judah. So it's all here in Isaiah. And we haven't even left chapter 1. And we're getting the gospel. He says, He's going to restore them. I will restore. As much as he said, I will destroy you now he's saying I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning afterward you shall be called the city of righteousness the faithful city and that's what we were celebrating for the Feast of Tabernacles a time when the whole world is looking to Jerusalem and calls Jerusalem the city of despite the wickedness that's there now despite the denial of Jesus Christ Despite the abomination of desolation that's going to be set up there Despite the slaughter that's going to take place there all the violence that's going to take place there even now But the real intense violence that's to come This city is going to be called despite Satan's efforts the city of righteousness the faithful city Zion shall be redeemed with Je- This is the con- This is the gospel The gospel has context it doesn't just drop out of the air Zion shall be redeemed with judgment and her converts with righteousness and the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together God isn't joking there's going to be a mechanism for repentance and those who repent are going to be established but not everybody's gonna repent And so the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together and they that forsake the lord shall be destroyed this is the god has spoken god when god speaks that's it his words never return to him empty so those that forsake the lord will be destroyed for they shall be ashamed of the oaks which you have desired and you shall be confused for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be as an oak whose leaf fades, and we can get into the analysis of all this later, and as the garden that has no water. And the strong shall be as tow, and the maker of it as a spark, and they shall both burn together, and none shall quench them. God isn't joking. So his own people, he's nurtured, he's brought them up as his children, they've rebelled against him, and yet there's going to be this mechanism for them to wash themselves. For them to repent for them to be redeemed those who don't will be ashes under the feet of the righteous now let's just wrap up now with uh, the first part remember these chapters are are artificial so let's just keep the, the flow the good news the gospel the word that Isaiah the son of Amaz saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem so always never forget this that Isaiah is a book about Judah and Jerusalem. Let's not make it Isaiah is so misquoted because we can just zoom in, pick up a scripture and quote it. We need to read it in context. What is Isaiah talking about? And we can take principles and apply them all over the world, sure. But we need to understand what does it actually refer to? Who is he talking about? The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. This, 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 these, this city, this harlot city. These rebellious people, these people that God Himself nurtured and brought up that rebelled against Him. It's going to be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. All these nations that have been deceived to destroy it, to to send armies against it, to go in and ravish the city. When God acts, they're all going to have to repent. And they're all going to have to acknowledge that the Holy One of Israel is God. That God is the God of Jacob. And they're going to have to learn His holy days, learn about His Sabbaths, and come and worship the king in Jerusalem so all nations shall flow unto it and many people shall go and say come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord so the deception the devil is now put away and this deception against Jerusalem has been lifted and there is acknowledgement of Jerusalem come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house Of the God of Jacob. He's God. We were we were were deceived. He's God. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, because we've come to understand. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So as much as Isaiah is pronouncing this severe judgment on Jerusalem, and a judgment the likes of which Sodom and Gomorrah. subjected to who can find Sodom and Gomorrah today but Jerusalem will not be wiped out that there will be a remnant and God is going to work from that remnant to bring repentance to Judah and Jerusalem to establish Judah and specifically Jerusalem so the whole world has a model of righteousness and the whole world can then look to for the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people why is he going to rebuke many people because Satan has stirred them up against Jerusalem Satan has stirred them up against his covenant people and God allowed it to happen because according to the covenant they deserve that but the people these nations are ruthless and they have torn apart his people and so God is going to now act and we see that in Zechariah 12 Zechariah 14 other places where God is now, having purified, used these nations to purify his people, and Isaiah is going to get into detail. Isaiah is going to give us detail. Uh, Having used these nations to purge his people and punish his people, he's then going to rebuke these nations. And Isaiah is going to give us detail as to how the rebuke, what the rebuke will look like. He shall rebuke many people. And these people that came up against Jerusalem, these people that were puppets of the devil, they shall beat their swords. Notice again, it's swords. It's all about the sword on his people. They're gonna take these same swords and beat them into plowshares. They're gonna become farming instruments. And their spears into pruning hooks. So they're gonna be looking after trees instead of killing people. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. So you won't see any nations, and these are ethnic peoples, with uh, swords on their flag to boast of their military might and they're willing to behead people that's over they're not going to do this anymore they're going to take their swords and turn them into farming instruments neither shall they learn war anymore O house of jacob come you and let us walk in the light of the lord and in that one passage of isaiah 1 in the first part of chapter 2 we have the whole story that god is the god of the holy one of israel and that he the, the the god of the universe has raised up children on earth and he's given them everything and he wants to establish them as the head nation a kingdom of priests to lead the world to him but they rebelled against him and they became worse than the pagan nations they they wholeheartedly embraced idolatry And so according to God, God is going to look at the terms and conditions of the covenant and he's going to severely punish them. And they're going to deserve every bit of it. And he's not going to listen when they cry out because they have to learn that these gods cannot save them. But he's going to reserve a remnant. There's going to be a a first fruits harvest which he's going to work through to lead the nation to repentance. And from there to lead the whole world to repentance. But it's all going to start with this first. This is why you have to understand the holy days. And again i gotta emphasize if you don't know what i'm talking about when i talk about god's holy days if you're still keeping easter if you're still keeping christmas or uh, coming up to halloween now if you're keeping these pagan holidays you've got to write to us info at cgi.org and ask about god's holy days so god is going to work through the, this first fruits harvest and he's going to lead people to repentance and then once jerusalem is established once judah is established the whole world is going to come to righteousness this is the gospel according to isaiah this is why it's such good news it's good news to god's people and when god's people receive this good news it becomes good news to the whole world and so we're gonna next week god willing we're gonna jump to second isaiah which is really the new testament part of isaiah there's there's new testament messages in isaiah 1 to 39 and there's old testament messages in isaiah 40 to 66 but generally speaking We've got the Old Testament judgments in the first part of Isaiah and the redemption message in the second part of Isaiah. So what we're going to do, and because Isaiah is not really chronological, it's fine that we can do this. We're going to focus in on the New Testament message in Isaiah and see how much the New Testament really, Isaiah is like the Bible. And then the New Testament epistles are commentaries on Isaiah. So we're going to really focus in on that then God willing, once we've done that, we'll go back to chapter one and we'll study in detail one to 39, having the context of how the redemption will take place. So thank you for joining tonight. This is gonna be a wonderful study. Like very rarely do do we ever go through Isaiah line by line and so much is gonna come out of it as we go through it line by line. So thanks for joining tonight. We are going to um, have a little bit of chat. As I mentioned, uh, Pastor Murray is not with us uh, tonight. But um, we will have a little bit of a chat and we will um, cover Isaiah um, chapter one and we cover chapter six and a little bit of um, uh, a little bit of Matthew 24. uh, So all of and and revelation 20 so happy to have a little bit of chat on that. And uh, you can find us actually let me just put up the um, let me just put up where to go for the chat. So you can just come and join us at cgi.churchonline.org and we'll just chat there a little bit, answer any questions, comments you want to make. And then God willing, uh, we'll be here again uh, next week at same time, that's going to be uh, a Wednesday night, 6.30 Central, 7.30 Eastern. This is going to be a wonderful, wonderful study as we go through what Isaiah has to say and how he talks about and makes known how God is going to bring about this great wonderful good news and this what we call the wonderful world tomorrow everything that we've been celebrating as we've just observed the feast of tabernacles in the last great day god bless you jesus christ is lord what a mighty god we serve